Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, welcome. This is Football Social Daily, the only daily Premier League podcast ramping up to the new season. And there is loads of friendly chat on today's show. I don't mean a nice little bit of conversation about random things. I mean, with two weeks to go until the start of the Premier League season, there's been a few big high-profile friendly matches to prepare teams for the start of the season. What can we learn from those matches? We'll have a look at a couple of them very soon on Football Social Daily, including two debut goals for two new Premier League stars to discuss and some other significant results as well. Plus, there is more to be done in the transfer market, including the latest on Frankie de Jong, Armando Brogia's future and a potential bargain forward that is looking for a new club somewhere this window. To talk about all that, Marley Anderson and Niall McCorn. How are you doing, boys? Very well, thanks, Jim. Good, good. Good morning. Good morning. As it's a Monday, we should start in the traditional way with a bit of pastry chats. Did anyone uh, have any good pies or sausage rolls over the weekend? No, my pastry count is very much zero. Oh, that's I, I think I used my yearly quota of pastries when I was down in Cornwall, um, past the everyday. So I think that's me done for the year, but I can't speak for Marley. Marley had a party, so did you have like a little plate of sausage rolls at the party? Yeah, we we hit, we hit, we hit Costco <laughs> pretty hard. Um, it was like we had them like Costco wraps and sandwiches and stuff. So that was uh, that was my staple diet. And then I had a KFC on Sunday. So wow, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I can't I can't physically get in my gym now. So uh, well, <laughs> not because I'm too fat, because <laughs> there's that much stuff left over from the party. I can't even get in for a workout. So that's it. I'm just gonna have to walk home or something and run it off. I had a bit of a cigar barrette at the weekend. You're some middle class. I don't oh, know what that is, but I think it's middle class. It's a, a what? That's a cigar. What is that? So it's like I um, understand what a cigar is. Those paste, pastry and spinach cheese parcel things that you have in bit Turkey like, and Greece. Bit like baklava. No, no, they, well, baklava is like sweet, isn't it, with honey and nuts? But these yeah. are like basically minced sweet, up. Yeah. <clears throat> excuse me. Minced up cheese and feta in a in a, like a parcel and then deep fried. Ah. Delicious. Very I know good. what a kleftiko is. That's kind of similar. That's a Greek thing, isn't I it? I still Maybe. maintain that it's very uh, middle class. That it does sound pretty middle class. I am incredibly you don't get middle that class. In Ashton and Duckingfield, mate. What, what can You're I say? You're doing Charlton. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's crack on with the football chat. We'll put the pastry chat to one side. Greg's. We are still available for sponsorship. Just to put that out there. We are going to talk about a couple of the friendlies that have gone on over the last couple of days over the weekend some interesting results over the last two days i mean you can only read so much into a friendly but 
it seemed to be taken very seriously by Thomas Tuchel, Arsenal's 4-0 demolition of Chelsea in the Florida Sunshines. Like I say, early days. You can only read so much into a friendly. But as far as Arsenal fans are concerned, Niall, a 4-0 defeat of a London rival is exciting either way, isn't it? Yeah, for Arsenal, it's a great result, isn't it? Even though it's pre-season, it's a positive result to beat a team in Chelsea who were one of the better teams in the Premier League last season. By that scoreline, it's always going to be something to get excited about. You're, you're dead right. What I will say is, you know, you talk about pre-season friendlies. We mentioned this last week on the show. People that say they don't mean anything, I understand where they're coming from because it's a friendly mm. and there's no points on the board or it's not a tournament or there's no trophy at the end of it. But professional footballers are competitive fellas and they want to win every single game. I don't care whether it's pre-season or not. I don't think any Chelsea player would have walked back into that dressing room thinking, ah, it's all right, it's only pre-season. And by the sounds of it, Thomas Tuchel really gave them both barrels. Mm. Sounded like he absolutely leathered them in the dressing room. And I think he even questioned you know, their commitment to the cause, which in pre-season isn't something you usually hear a manager come out with, even after a heavy defeat like that. So... As far as Arsenal are concerned, to win 4-0 against Chelsea is an, is an excellent result. It doesn't mean they're going to go into their first game of the Premier League season in a couple of weeks' time and win that 4-0. But confidence is such a huge thing in the game and to beat Chelsea by that scoreline will have given the Arsenal players plenty of confidence and conversely, it will certainly have given the Chelsea fans something to be slightly concerned about. So all of this chat about, oh, the results don't matter in pre-season, it's only about fitness... I get that to an extent, but I think you're kidding yourself if you think that to lose 4-0 to Arsenal wouldn't have annoyed Chelsea fans. And conversely, if Arsenal fans are just going to be blasé about it, I think you're wrong there as well. I think they'll be very happy with the result. doesn't matter as much when you win, I don't think, a friendly. It seems to matter when you lose. And you're right, Thomas Tuchel seemed very upset after the game, questioned his team's commitment, said he doesn't think Chelsea will be ready for the season opener on the 6th of August. Does he have a point, Marley? Because we've seen a lot of changes at Chelsea over the last few weeks. Players leaving, significant players leaving as well. And not a huge amount of new faces brought in. Are Chelsea in for a bit of a tough time, certainly in the early days of the season? I think so, yeah. I think the only new faces they've got is the 17 million loans coming back and having to show <laughs> their ID to prove who they are because everyone's forgot about the likes of Kennedy and Ross Barkley coming back and saying, like, I do still play it. I don't think um, Ross Barkley's not been on loan, has he? He's just no, not. He, been, he's just been sitting, I don't know, at home with a brew or something. Up, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's um, he's still there. But I think about like where those two clubs are in terms of like um, the rebuild and, and Chelsea against Arsenal in in terms of who's more prepared for the season. And if you look at Arsenal, you know they signed Jesus a few weeks ago. That was the biggest thing that they needed to do was to replace Lacazette and Aubameyang, who've both moved on to new clubs. So. They got that done a couple of weeks ago. And then when, once he signed Zinchenko last week, it was like, right, that's it now. They're done. They don't need anything else. Arsenal, nothing nothing pressing. If something insane comes up in the next couple of weeks, they might move for them. But as of now, they are ready for the season. And if you look at Chelsea compared to that, you know, Chelsea are nowhere near. They've still got to get at least one more centre-back. They're trying to get Koundé, who's maybe... They've got Koulibaly, haven't they? They've brought him in. Yeah. They've got Raheem Sterling, which is arguably a player they didn't really need, but I yeah. think it, it's a good acquisition. Yeah, but they still need another defender because they've lost Christensen and Rudiger, and they're probably losing Alonso, and they might even lose Azpilicueta. And Thiago Silva's 38 this yeah, year. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, they've got major work to do there. 
Um, and then they haven't even addressed the Lukaku situation yet, I don't think. They've not had a, a proper replacement for him. Sterling's a, an attacker. He's not a centre-forward. They still need to sort that out if if they uh, they feel like they need to. I don't know whether they're, got, they're going to play Havertz all, uh, all season up front in the centre-forward role. He's never really convinced me in that centre-forward role, but if Tuchel thinks he can mould him into it, then, then that's fine. But I still think they need another attacker. So if you're looking at that, I think Chelsea have still got plenty of work to do in the next I mean the season starts in two weeks so it's not exactly you know ideal preparation Mm -hmm. and that these things tend to show as well like when the season starts you can tell who's ready and who's not because you know they'll be all over the place maybe and uh, if you look at Arsenal Arsenal have got the business done very well um, and they they seem set to to have a crack at whatever they whatever they can this season so I would be a little bit worried if I was a Chelsea fan because of the. I mean, to be fair, it's it's been the most turbulent summer that they'll ever have, probably, mm. in terms of Abramovich going and then the club being basically on rich person's eBay, trying to uh, get someone in and then get their ideas over and sort everything out and then sign new players and then lose players on a free and then it's all a bit of a mess. But that's that's football. That's the way. That's the way it goes sometimes. Can I just do a Monday moan? I know we normally save this for when the season's on, but I've got one. It's popped into my head. You know, we see sometimes these lists come out on social media and videos where people go, oh, here are the top 10 biggest rivalries in English football. I've seen teams that are rivals play against each other in pre-season. I've seen Manchester United take on Liverpool. Yeah. I think there was even meant to be an old firm pre-season derby, which got knocked on the head got very, very canned, quickly. Yeah. I think that got cancelled for in understandable Australia, reasons. Wasn't it? Yeah, meant to be. How can they be considered the biggest, most fierce competitive rivalries when they're playing each other in pre-season? <laughs> it would just never happen in a proper rivalry. I just wouldn't. Because the rivalries don't exist really between teams anymore. They don't really exist between players. Rivalries are between fans. And you're taking these teams on tour. You're playing in Florida and Australia and yeah. outer Mongolia and the significance I, is all suddenly lost. I know, I understand that. But I mean, if you look at like, for instance... Um, a Premier League team's pre-season schedule they'll probably play a couple of championship teams maybe a local League One club with some youngsters and then they'll play a foreign team will come over from Spain or Germany that tends to be how it works or they'll go on tour to Australia like Marley says Um, you know being a Portsmouth fan Southampton would never play Portsmouth in pre-season Mm. we're League One they're Premier League it would just just sign the players instead like Bazzini but the players in these countries the players on these tours they want to see these games don't they or the sort of the fans on these tours so when you're going out to the Far East they want to go and see I I get what you're saying 100% and it feels wrong but that's where we are in terms of I just don't see how people can pick uh, a team or two teams that and then consider that the greatest rivalry in English football or whatever when mm. they're playing each other in pre-season. I think a, a rivalry maybe has a little bit more than that to it. Maybe that's just a personal opinion. But I thought it was yeah. an interesting one because it seems to be happening more and more. I mean, I don't know who West Ham have played in pre-season, Jim. But... Luton Town at the weekend. There we go. See <laughs> what I mean? Drew local, 1-1. Local championship <laughs> club. London Police had a uh, had a plenty of training for that one. That big, uh, big derby. <laughs> While we're having Monday moans, um, can we pick up on Gabriel Jesus' 15th minute goal for Arsenal, which was heralded as his debut goal? (laughs) Can you score a debut goal in a freight friendly? Does it have to be a competitive match for it to count as your debut? Uh, Yeah, I think you can. Yeah. I think he scored in his first game. First game for the club, innit? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, a, a debut. Goal. And then there's yeah, competitive but, debut as yeah, well. Yeah. So. Or full debut, whatever yeah. they call it. All right, yeah. well, in that case, 
Erling Haaland has also scored his first goal, <laughs> his debut goal against Bayern Munich, playing in Wisconsin. Took him 12 minutes to get on the score sheet. Whipped in cross from Jack Grealish, which Haaland then gobbled up. He put it away. Now, Grealish is a man who struggled to make an impact at Manchester City since his signing. It's very early days in terms of the relationship between Haaland and Grealish. But do you think having that centre forward, that target man, Marley, someone like Haaland playing in front of him, mm. is going to improve Grealish as much as going to as much as it's going to improve Man City by having that goal scorer? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think it's it's always helpful when you have an absolute freak of nature trying to uh, <laughs> stick stick balls away in the middle. You know, he's six foot four and he can head him in, he can slide in, he can finish. You know, he's he's quick. He's got everything, so it becomes easier to play like that. You know, Grealish is probably used to playing with strikers through his career and getting in that sort of channel on the sort of left-hand side, like in between the, the full-back and the centre-back and whipping balls across for, for players. You know, that's that's just natural. I think last year at Man City, it was a bit of an acclimatisation process for him. Um, it doesn't probably doesn't help that they never had a striker because... You know, assists become easier because the centre forward is waiting for the ball in the box. Mm. He's not. There's no false nine, you know, lurking on the penalty spot when a proper centre forward would be, would be like Haaland was at the weekend, sliding in on the uh, inside the six yard box from two yards for a tap in. That's what that's what yeah. proper penalty box strikers do. Yeah. Um. So I I think this will be a big year for Grealish. I think Sterling leaving gives him a little bit more chance to start games. Um. With Probably Grealish on the left and Mahrez on the right would probably be City's strongest team. And then you've got Foden as well, knocking around and, you know, uh, taking some of the games off him as well. So, um, yeah, with with Haaland in the middle, I think it's just just easier. It becomes easier. And then they've got Alvarez as well, and mm. he seems like a proper centre-forward too. So it's uh, looking good for City. There's a lot of really interesting players in the Premier League in those forward positions this year, Niall. And mm. I think you mentioned... Alvarez then, uh, we've got Jesus we've already mentioned, Nunes at Liverpool as well. I think Haaland's probably the one that is intriguing most people. He's had a couple of injury niggles since he came to City, <laughs> he's not been there long, missed a couple of games. Next for City, it's actually the Community Shield against Liverpool, that's their next game. Do you think we're going to see Haaland in that for his first competitive game? Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Surely. I mean, you'd think so, but this is Pep Guardiola. <laughs> so, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he puts cheeky Bagheristan up front or something like that. Um, it's hard to know with Pep. I mean, you're always second guessing. And I think sometimes, actually, he second guesses himself at times. But you can't see Erling Haaland not making an is appearance. This Saturday. This Saturday, oh, yeah. The week on Saturday. No, this it's Saturday. Uh, five days' time. Yeah, so that's the week. It's normally the the first game of the season, isn't it? Before mm. the Premier League starts, the so. old curtain raiser. Yeah, everyone that's, loves that. That's something that never gets wheeled out again. Curtain <laughs> raiser, just one weekend every year. Curtain raiser. Well, the EFL season starts next weekend as well, so um, the yeah, championship does, yeah. and leagues one and two begin next weekend, which is remarkable to be, for that to begin in July. By the way, um, so yeah, I mean, will he play? I think he'll play at some point. Whether he'll start or not is like. You know, put your hand in a hat and see what you pick out for me. It's it's, it's the championship starts on Saturday as well. Yeah, yeah, thirty first of July. Sorry, I thought you said a week on Saturday. No, no, no. Starts this weekend. Coming here. Huddersfield Burnley's on Friday night. Christ. I mean, well, the championship is starting this year. Um, I mean, you're right about the forward players in the Premier League, Jim. Um, I think that the Premier League in general this season. I feel like I say this every season, but (laughs) I'm going to say it again. 
it feels quite exciting this year. Yeah. I said this last year because I thought there were four teams that could potentially win the title. In the end, it was the same two, Liverpool and Man mm. City. Mm. Chelsea, I don't see that Chelsea changing, were, to be honest with you. Chelsea but think... were miles away, and then we thought Manchester United would be in with a chance with Ronaldo and Sancho and Varane, who they signed. But this year, it's almost harder to call the top four, I think, mm. because United have got a new manager and they've had a, an absolutely flying pre-season so far. Um, and things have started to look good for them. Obviously, we still don't know what's happening with Ronaldo. Tottenham have signed some exciting players. They've got Antonio Conte, who's had his first full pre-season. Um, Harry Kane's looked good. Obviously, the players they brought in have looked good. I think Ben Davis, actually, whilst we've been recording this, has just signed a new deal at Tottenham. Um, Liverpool, changes there. Mane out, big blow. Nunez coming in. How will he do? Not too sure. Obviously, Manchester City have lost Sterling, who's gone to Chelsea, and it's a new dawn for Chelsea. But also for Manchester City, got new players. It feels slightly fresh as well with Haaland coming in and, and Grealish's second year. So actually, in terms of what we've got there, and that's not even mentioning Arsenal, by the way, yeah. who have signed Jesus, as you say, and uh, have done well So in the last couple of weeks. Or Newcastle, season. who are going to have pretense onto that top six as well. well West Ham have been decent. <laughs> Le- I mean, Leicester will want to try and get back up into the top eight as well. I think, so I think them two have spent West Ham do. and Leicester. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's hard to know, though, isn't it? It's hard to know. But, I mean, in terms of the landscape at the moment, um, it's almost take your pick, really. Yeah. For the for the, the you know the top two are going to be City and Liverpool in whatever order, but for the other two top four places, I think it could be really exciting. It could be between three or four teams quite comfortably, quite conceivably. So um, so yeah, bring it on. Very quickly before we move on to transfers, which we will do shortly, I want to mention Everton, who won four two over Blackpool in their pre season friendly, which was such a significant result. It resulted in the Everton fans storming the pitch afterwards for a full pitch invasion. Um, I mean, Everton have been, they've had a mixed bag pre season wise, let's say that. Deli Alley, he's had a mixed bag as well. He managed to score a brace in that Everton game. Is it too early to talk about Lampard being under pressure? Marley. No. I know last season did <laughs> not, not work all. well for him and this pre-season's not started but are these I mean 4-2 it's a win a win's a win but against Blackpool it's not a particularly comprehensive win you'd say does it feel like it's too early to start questioning when he's going to lose his job no it's not too early because you know you're looking at the the sort of state of the club over the last what seven months 12 months and and saying like this is a mess and if you you know the result if the results don't go their way after 10 games if they're sat with no wins after the first six or seven games you know he's massively under pressure and you've got a a guy above him as his boss who is not afraid to uh change things you know he's 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 picked the last few managers, Ancelotti and Koeman and uh, uh, who else was it? Who else went to Everton a few years ago? Can't Marco remember. Silva. Marco Silva, yeah, he was there. He got binned off pretty quick, but Mashiri just loves hiring and firing everyone. Um, I think Rafa Benitez, Benitez, that's what I was thinking of. Christ, I forgot about Rafa Benitez. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was a disaster. But yeah, I mean, because yeah. you're right, Mashiri is the one who picks the managers. Well, that's what I was about to say. Like, Lampard wasn't his pick, was he? Lampard was the the fans' pick. They were all campaigning mm. banners for Lampard, and he's not done much so far. Like defensively, they've been shocking. Um, signing James Tarkowski is that is that going to change your entire defence? I'm not really sure. You're paying a 29 year old 120 grand a week on a four year deal. Financially, it doesn't really make much sense. So you better hope it comes off on the pitch. 
Um, because I think Everton could be in big trouble, to be fair. Uh, I don't think they'll go down. I think they'll, they'll, they'll have enough, just. But there's problems there, so it's never too too early to start saying he could be under pressure because if there's logic behind that, then which there is, then it's a fair enough question. More positive news potentially for Everton. They're interested in a couple of players and we'll cover that off in the transfer roundup, which is on the way next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. As we've established just a few moments ago, just one week to go until the season kicks off with the <laughs> Community Shield. Two weeks until the Premier League season kicks off. We'll be back to daily podcasts then. So hey. we'll be able to keep you up to date with everything that's going on. So make sure you click subscribe. And you're also following our new Twitter account for the podcast, which is Marley. At FSD Pod. Go get it. Go find it there and you can follow everything football that we've got coming up on the podcast. We're going to talk about a couple of transfers now and we're going to start off with Frankie de Jong and some news from ESPN that Barcelona have not accepted any offers for the player. This is the slowest transfer saga in the history of transfer sagas. Is it all down to Barcelona, Niall? Because Manchester United do have a habit of dragging their... Heels on transfer deals previously. So can you proportion the blame in both directions on getting this one over the line? No, I don't think so. I think it is all down to Barcelona. I think it is a bit of a game, this one. It's just a back and forth and it's mm. getting tiresome. It's getting tiresome. I mean, the facts we know, Eric Tenag really wants Frankie de Jong and he's prepared to wait until he gets his man. United obviously will have other targets in mind, but that's the one he wants. He wants Frankie de Jong. We saw some reports last week saying that Frankie de Jong doesn't like Manchester. He doesn't like the way Manchester United is run and he doesn't want to come. I mean, it's up to you whether you believe that or not. But let's face it, he's owed 17 million euros in deferred wages by Mm. Barcelona. Which they want him to write off. They They want him to write off. And they want him to take a pay cut. They want him to take a pay cut. (laughs) And also, Barcelona have been spending the money this summer for a club that was only a few months ago allegedly half a billion pounds in debt or maybe even more than that I think might have even been up to a billion pounds in debt um, that that debt's been restructured and we know sometimes the Spanish governments do step in and uh, I think they helped Real Madrid with a tax problem a few years ago and I think they maybe might do something similar with Barcelona if things really do get dicey but with this Frankie de Jong transfer Barcelona have been spending the money they're going to need to recoup that money somewhere They got rid of Messi, obviously, or Messi had to leave the club because of the financial problems that Barcelona had at the time. And, you know, that didn't really go down too well. So will they, you know, eventually pull the trigger on a Frankie de Jong sale? Um, But, you know, he's under contract at Barcelona. He's he's well entitled to dig his heels in. If he wants to stay there, Mm. he's well entitled to dig his heels in and say, you signed me to a contract which is this length. It hasn't finished yet. You owe me this money. I'm not going anywhere until you pay it. Well, that's it. How can you... He's not, he's not, you know, out of line, is he? No, no, not at all. You owe me this money. Pay me the money. He's owed money and the club are spending ridiculous money elsewhere. Yeah. If the club was was on the bones of its arse, for want of a better term, like what happened to us at Pompey is we were paying far too much money to players and when we ran out of money, we literally could not afford to pay them. But 
on the flip side, we weren't signing players for millions of pounds, which is exactly what Barcelona are doing. Mm. So it takes the mickey a little bit if you're Frankie Dion. You yeah. think, right, okay, you owe me 17 million euros, yet you're signing Lewandowski, you're signing yeah. and these, what, these what other was Lewandowski players. and Aubameyang sign-on fees? Probably, probably close to 17 million pounds. If your mate was skint, and he needed a tenner to get a taxi home from town after a night out. And Bollocks no to him, money. it's his fault. <laughs> and you lent him 10 quid and he turned up the next week in a new set of wheels, like a new pair of trainers. You'd be furious, wouldn't you? That's the scenario. Sorry, did you say set of wheels as in trainers there? Yeah, set of wheels. <laughs> you old man. <laughs> um, we've had a question in via... Set of wheels? What do you call them? I thought you meant like a no, car, like a set of wheels. <laughs> Um, we had a question in via at FSD pod, the new Twitter account for the podcast, and it's from Pep's Blue Army 4. He says, what do you guys think of the Xavi comments about playing De Jong in defence? Are they really that short of personnel in defence for De Jong to take on that responsibility? So Barcelona played Real Madrid at the weekend, another pre-season friendly. De Jong played at the back. Marley goes back and... to my Monday moan. Barcelona, Real Madrid in pre-season. <laughs> there we yeah. go, yeah. Frankie de Jong played at centre-back and Xavi said afterwards he liked seeing de Jong playing at centre-back. He thought he was a good player to play in that position. Is this just part of the games? Is that forcing de Jong out? Is that making use of their extra personnel? I don't know. What, I mean, what's going on there? If you're de Jong, you're thinking he's they're abs- taking the yeah. out. Yeah. yeah. He's absolutely not going to... He's not a centre-back, is he? Like You've signed him as one of the you know, the leading sort of next generation centre midfielders in the world playing, you know, not long after Xavi and Iniesta. So you've signed him as a centre midfielder. I think this is more of a um, a message to De Jong that you're not going to get in this midfield. We've just signed Frank Kessie. You've got Busquets in the holding role. He's, he's still, um, still there. You've got Gavi and Pedri there as well. You know, two of the brightest talents that Spain have got. I think I think it's Gavi just took the number... Uh, six or eight shirt from from Iniesta and you know like you're talking about heirs to the throne of Xavi and Iniesta and you're giving them one of the the shirt numbers that suggests he's going to be a big part of that squad so and then you look at defence and they've still got like Piquet's still there might be leaving you've got Arau has just signed a new contract you've got Eric Garcia who's there um, just from January I think it was and then they've just signed Christensen as well um, and you've still got, I think Umtiti might still be there, might might be wrong, he might have gone, but basically you've got options there where Frankie De Jong is not going to get in there ahead of any of them. He's getting in there because Xavi's saying to him, you're not playing in midfield, and he's basically saying, if you don't like centre-back, you can always go to Man United, and <laughs> you know, and you can play, play in centre-midfield, you know, they'll love you over there, blah, blah, mm. blah. But it's just... It's just mind games, I think, um, and it's. I do feel bad for him because he's done literally nothing wrong. He signed a contract. He's he's believed in the promises, which once, which were true at one point, and then the 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 idiots at the top of the club have made so many bad financial decisions that he's left in limbo, and he's having to to sort of find out where he's at and where he's at is being played out of position, out of form, out of um, sort of favour, and. Uh, it, I think it's just a, a move to try and push him closer to the exit door. It looks like the move should happen at some point. Everyone wants to hap- it to happen increasingly. Both clubs do. I guess it's just up to the player now. And how who breaks first out of De Jong and Barcelona in terms of that outstanding wage debt? Uh, we're going to move to Italy via Liverpool now. And the Italian media reporting that Juventus have tabled a €23 million Euro bid for Liverpool's Roberto Firmino. So what's that? 20-odd million quid or so. 
Liverpool are apparently considering the deal, Niall, which feels like a big shift in their attacking options. They've already lost Mane, and now they could potentially be losing Firmino as well. But at the same time, is it a good opportunity for Liverpool to move on a player whose significance in that side is on the wane? It is kind of decreasing, and they do need to focus on a new front three. And at the same time, they're potentially getting in a little bit of money to retain their title of net spend champions. <laughs> well, I think, is am I right in thinking, Marley, you might be able to help me with this. Is Firmino one of the few players at Liverpool that kind of predates Jurgen Klopp? Did he arrive under Brendan Rodgers? I think, I I think he's he been did, there yeah. ages anyway. He's been yeah, there he's, seven years. Yeah, longer than you think, yeah. So, you know, in terms of him moving on, Jim, I don't think it's, you know, a far-fetched thing to imagine. I mean, people were saying, oh, Salah won't move on, Mane won't move on. Well, one of them's gone. Mm. And Firmino, you know, he's been there seven years. That's a long time to spend at one club, especially in the sort of the modern era. You don't tend to see that too often these days. So, I mean, it's not out of the question that he, he could move on. In terms of his influence being on the wane and then needing a new front three or at least a kind of regeneration of the front three I think we've already begun to see that from Jurgen Klopp obviously he signed Diogo Jota who at the time was almost sort of treated as a a backup option by many of the press and the neutrals you know Diogo Jota who was decent for Wolves but no one expected him to go to Liverpool and be as successful as he as he was particularly when he first went there and he scored loads of goals Uh, Luis Diaz who signed in January and just hit the ground running instantly. He's been he's been excellent. Mm. Um, obviously, Divock Origi has left, so there's a, a spot to be filled there, I think, as well. Uh, Nunez has come in. Um, whether he'll be able to replicate the form Mane has shown, who knows. But we've already seen, as I say, Jota, uh, Diaz and Nunez come in, and they're three players um, who have been introduced in the last two seasons. And now we've already seen Mane leave, and if Firmino's the next one to go, then... You know, are there already players there possibly that could fill in for him? It feels like he'll be a bit player anyway, doesn't it? If he does stay, I can't really see him be... He's he's not going to start week in, week out. You wouldn't have thought. No, Uh, well, he didn't last year, did he, really? It was was Jota at the start of the season, then he got injured and he came back in a little bit. But then when Jota got fit, it was was tended to be him more than than Firmino. But yeah, he's uh, he's a quality player, though, Firmino, I think. He came, he came as a midfielder and then sort of came as a, you know, that sort of drop striker, that sort of false nine-ish role and that was credited to getting the best out of Salah and now Salah's at a level where he's, you know, one of the best in the world. So mm. I think he's, he's, he's sort of like an enabler and I think managers love that. That's why he's been at Liverpool seven years because he makes other players around him better by being such a, like, team player sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and that's that's fair enough. I think he's he's been brilliant to be fair. Five goals last season in 20 Premier League games. So that's, that's one, in, one in five or one in four, isn't it? He's yeah. never been prolific though, has he? No, no. 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 Um, four assists last season as well. But Marley's right. He's the sort of player that does the stuff you don't tend to see on the statistic mm. sheets. It's the kind of bringing the other players into play, the link up. Yeah, it's it's that thing. And it? like if he drops deep and, and a centre-back comes with him you know, and then Salah you know, runs in behind, you notice Salah running in behind and the, and the ball that comes to him. You don't notice Firmino because he's off the ball. He's just dragging centre-backs away. And if they don't go with him, he'll get the ball in space. And you don't want to do that because he's, he's dangerous himself. So yeah. he, he is a very unselfish player, probably the most unselfish in the league, I would say. Um, but yeah, he's, I think his, his lack of goals is always going to be the key that makes him replaceable. Because when you like like we've just have you know five goals in twenty, it's not it's not a centre forward no. at a top club trying to win the title. That's not that type of return. 
And then you look at City going and buying Haaland and Alvarez and you think they've got more firepower. Mm, so yeah. I do think it's dangerous, know. though, to lose two of that kind of traditional, for want of a better term, Liverpool front three in the same transfer window. I think that's yeah. a little bit of a risk. You know, I think that Mane going, OK, you deal with that incrementally. I mean, this season we've seen City let Sterling go and I can't imagine they would have let Bernardo Silva go as well or someone else go as well. You know, well, they've let Jesus go as well. It's actually quite unusual for them to let two sort of first team players of that calibre leave. But it just seems to me like if they let Firmino leave this summer, that might be too big of a gap to plug, particularly with Nunez, who's unproven. I mean, he might be amazing, but we're sitting here now. Same with Haaland, really. I mean, we know we think he might be quite good. We know he's very good, got potential to score loads of goals, but until it's actually happening, it's hard to it's hard to say for certain it's going to happen. So I think it'll be I think it'll be difficult for Liverpool if they let Firmino leave to try and replace him and his importance to that front three, particularly with Mane having already left. You say he's been there a long time. Can you name me one other player that joined Liverpool the same season as Roberto <laughs> Firmino? My first guess would be Milner, but. Milner is a great shout. Is it? There were six signings that season and James Milner was one of them. Very good. Marley? Bizarrely, the first name that popped into my head was Martin Skirtle. Martin <laughs> Skirtle is not on the list. Damn it. Unfortunately. Danny Ings, James Milner, Christian Benteke, Joe Gomez, Adam Brohan and Nathaniel Klein were Jesus. Liverpool's transfer business that year. Um, finally on this <laughs> Juventus search for a striker. Apparently, they're also interested. If they can't get the Firmino deal over the line, they're looking at Anthony Martial from Manchester United. And if you'd said to me, Martial to Ju- Juventus two months ago, I would have yet gone, yep, done deal. That looks like that'll happen. But now, Niall, it looks like Martial could have a future at Manchester United. Ten Hag seems to quite like him. And because of that, it's hard to see him going anywhere. He's been really good in pre-season, Jim. I've watched a few Manchester United games this pre-season. He's been very good. A lot more running off the ball. Something which I think has been levelled at Martial is he can be statuesque in the box. He doesn't have the greatest dynamism when it comes to moving around in the box and taking up goal-scoring positions. You know some strikers, like for instance Haaland, we spoke about that pre-season um, goal that he scored against Bayern Munich where Marley mentioned it. He was just like bombing on towards the line and gets the tap in before Nathan Ake, who was behind him, could get there. I mean, someone was going to score for City, but he made sure that he busted that mm. gut to get there first. That is not something we tend to see with Anthony Martial. But what we do know is that he he's technically quite a good player. Um, and he did have a good season a couple of years ago when Solskjaer first uh, came into Manchester United as manager. And he showed shades of that form in pre-season, although it's not really the greatest of benchmarks. And we need to wait until the start of the Premier League campaign to really judge and see if he's capable of doing it. I think that he has had a very good um, pre-season period and he will likely be the starting striker for United's first game of the season against Brighton, which is on the 7th of August. I think there's no chance that this happens. And the reason that I think there's no chance he goes to Juventus is if United let Anthony Martial go, who starts up front against Brighton on the 7th of August? Mm. Who have they got? They've got no strikers. Cristiano Ronaldo's AWOL at the moment. Hasn't reported back to Manchester. Is he still not? The last I heard he was in Lisbon, so I don't know whether he's back in Manchester now. Not sure he would quite enjoy this weather. We're looking out the window here of the studio today, coming back from Lisbon to this, but um, he's not been on the preseason tour to Australia and Thailand, so you know he's not linked up with the group. Um, obviously, the Mason Greenwood situation, as far as I'm aware, he's still suspended. I don't think he's returned, has he, to the squad? So there's that. 
there's obviously Martial, who's the only one, and then Rashford, who seems to be much better playing off the left or in a wider position, who can do the job. But Martial's their only real centre-forward. Even in the under-23s, they've got a couple of young lads, but no one who's at the level of, say, like a Delap for Manchester City or you know, someone like that who, who can come in. So, um, yeah, I just think if they sold Martial, that leaves you with just Rashford mm. to play through the middle. Uh, against Brighton, which I just—it's just—it's just something that I can't see happening. Unless they sign a striker in the next two weeks, I don't see Anthony Martial leaving. I don't see how he can do with the way things have started this preseason. I think he deserves a chance to show whether he's capable or not, regardless of the fact that he's been pretty poor the last eighteen months or so. I think that he deserves, from what he's shown in preseason under a new manager, a chance to chance to impress. Few more deals to discuss on today's podcast, including the future of Amando Broja, and we're going to talk about a potential signing for maybe Fulham, maybe Everton, maybe Nottingham Forest. We'll do it next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. Final bit of today's podcast. A couple more deals to look at in terms of transfers ahead of the new season. Still feels like there's a lot of business to be done in the Premier League at the moment in terms of comings and goings. And we're going to look at the transfer saga that has kind of grown around Amando Broho. It looked like it was going to be a future at West Ham for him. There seemed to be a deal agreed, then it wasn't agreed. Thomas Tuchel seems keen to keep the player but the player he wants to have regular first team football now Newcastle and Everton are both interested in the striker well let's start with you Marley on this one does he fit in at Newcastle you brought you Mm. Uh, not really because I was talking to to my dad about this actually last week and he was like are we going to sign a striker and I said look like look we all, know, we all know Callum Wilson's going to get injured at some point because he always does. But we signed we signed Chris Wood in January, right? And whatever you think of Chris Wood, and he's you know he's obviously not as good as Wilson and he doesn't really fit our system, but we're not going to ditch him after six months. So he's still going to be the second-choice striker. So to bring in a guy who's going to have to wait for two guys to get, you know, to, to battle with to get a game, it doesn't really make much sense for me. Um... I think we Newcastle need wingers more than we need centre forwards because uh, we've only got two, maybe three, if you count Almiron as a as a winger. Um, who's done all right in preseason? To be fair, there though, I thought when he came in on a from wing? the left, he's not he's not a winger as well, such. He's like six foot three. He's kind of a wide forward, isn't he? I guess he doesn't really play that centre forward role particularly. So who have you got, Marley Fraser and Sam Axman? Pretty much it. Yeah, and Almiron, and then Jacob Murphy. So. <laughs> We need we need more depth on the wings because Fraser gets a lot of injuries. Maximan gets booted out of games every week, um, but we don't want to pay sixty million for that Diaby. Uh, and everyone we go to, Jack Harrison, Leeds want fifty million for Jack Harrison. Apparently, um, is that just because Saudi you're tax. Newcastle United and you've got money now? <laughs> yeah, it happens with everyone. That's why we walked away from so many deals in the past. Like we walked away from Diaby. Uh, we walked away from Botman in January because Lille were playing silly beggars over wanting. 55, 60 million for him, and then we signed him for 37, which was more of his, you know, came down by 13 million all of a sudden. Um, it's happened with a few now, so it's, it's starting to get on my nerves, but I'm glad that we're walking away <laughs> from deals. It. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I mean, it's, it's happened to Man City all the time, doesn't it? Happens yeah, yeah. to happens to them all the time. Mm. Um, so it's starting to happen to, 
to us and it's, it's understandable but as long as you got the sense to walk away from it and then other targets to go for but like, Broy is a good player but I think he'd be better off at West Ham um, for example you know playing every other game with with Antonio up front because he gets a few injuries mm. and stuff as well there's more games for him at West Ham he stays in London he plays for a, a team that's finished in the top 10 comfortably for the last two years yeah um, what's West Ham's wages it makes sense. like as well Jim are they paying they pay good wages, I imagine, being a London club. Well, I think they've got a pretty strict wage structure, hence why the Jesse Lingard deal right. never went through, because they didn't want to break that. But then you've got players like... Yeah, but Broyer's wages aren't going to be massive, are they? No. You because he's only so. young. He wants football. That's the interesting thing about this, I think. Because yeah. if he was interested in money, he'd stay at Chelsea, right? And he'd sit on the bench, he'd play a few games, he'd play in the Carabao Cup and whatnot. But well, I he can't wants imagine be... he's on a great deal at Chelsea. No, but he wants no. to play regular first-team football. And that's the the challenge he has I guess is that he's probably not going to get that at Chelsea so does he go to Newcastle does he go to Everton does he go to West Ham does he make that move or does he well he might sit get tight? it at Chelsea still as Marley said earlier they've not replaced Lukaku mm. and if, I, if I was Tuchel I'd be giving him a chance but he doesn't seem to you see the door seems to be open to him to leave I, I don't really know why because if you've got a guy who might do alright and unless, you don't need to spend anything on him, you know. Unless they go for the false nine this year with Raheem Sterling through the middle. And that yeah. could have been part of the deal that got him to potentially leave Man City and go to Chelsea. So he plays that role that he does seem to enjoy playing Raheem Sterling. In terms of West Ham, like I say, the, the Broho deal seems to be off for West Ham. They've turned their attention to Gianluca Scamacca, who there is a fee agreed to be around 30 million quid. He's not a player that I know a great deal about. I've kind of been looked looked a little bit at his numbers and his goals to game ratio at international level. He's played like seven games for Italy. He's not scored for them yet. He's got a moderate goals to game ratio at club level, but there seems to be a lot of hype around him. Do either of you boys know anything that can get West Ham fans excited? Apart from the fact he's a terrifying looking giant. <laughs> well, he's six foot five, so he's going to intimidate a few. Um... I don't know that much about him to be honest. I can't say I've watched too many Sassuolo games in the in the past year, um, but he does seem to be like a breakout star of 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 their sort of next generation up front with like Domenico Berardi, who's been there for a while and probably playing below his his level with um, with Sassuolo. But yeah, he's, I think he got sixteen last season. Um, it's great for you know. The play, like, I just think with West Ham, a lot of the time they just get duped into paying thirty million for players. Yeah, like it's <laughs> just agree. like, oh, thirty oh. million doesn't seem like much, does it? Oh, is that a flash in the pan? There's thirty million. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, and West Ham have got such a bad record with signing strikers. Like as I said, you know, on the podcast when Haller was there, Haller is a great striker. He's really a good, he is a good striker, and he just couldn't get going at West Ham mm. for one reason or another. Then Antonio came through as this centre forward who, who uh, you know, sort of moulded himself into a, a, a good goal scorer, and it it sort of spelt uh, spelled out the end of of Haller's time. But would you go as far to say that Haller got bombed out by West Ham? I don't know, Jim. What do you reckon? Yeah, he was I, there a year, and then we're like, nah, thanks, we're good. Yeah, I think he was. He was. We didn't play in a way that suited him as a player, and I think it's that kind of lack of joined up thinking that we accuse a lot of clubs having when they delve into the transfer market it's been leveled at Manchester United a lot it was a case of buying a player who was available rather than buying a player that seemed to fit a system 
Mm. And on the rare occasions when we did play the system that suited him, getting the ball out wide, whipping in crosses, it did work in pre-season friendlies. He's just got mad overhead kicks every week, didn't he? I think he scored about three in his first ten games. It was like, can this guy hit a normal finish? Does he have to do a backflip, bicycle kick thing? It was crazy, but the dexterity on him and the athleticism for a guy of of his size was insane, Mm. but... You know, we'll have to see whether Gianluca Scamacca at six foot five can do the same. But you know, Italian, Italian Andy Carroll basically. Yeah, well, it? Italian strikers don't have a great history in the Premier League, do they? I can't no. think of too many Italian strikers well, who have made huge impacts. Simone Zaza. The last time an Italian striker was at West Ham, I think, was the last time someone scored twenty goals in a Premier League season for the Hammers, was it not? You thinking Paolo Di Canio? I'm thinking of Paolo Di Canio. I don't Di Cania. think he scored twenty. No, I wouldn't have thought so. It's been, I mean, potentially I it could have been. I don't think we've had a striker that scored more than 10 goals in a season for something like 15 years. Really? Which oh, well, just shows how poor we've been random, in terms of acquisition. I'm sure you told me this before. Who was it? Was it some? Was it like Tony Cotti or something? It was someone like that, yeah. <laughs> we had Diam- Di- Diamante ago, yeah. at West Ham who looked great in pre-season and didn't do very well. We had... Um, Ricardo Vazte. The, um, <laughs> the guy who took the weird penalty run up in the Zaza. World Cup. Zaza, yeah. He was absolutely bloody terrible. There you go. Di Canio got four... 16 999 in go, his yeah. five seasons at West Ham. Right. So 16 goals was his peak. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know with West Ham. When was the last time they did have a striker that scored a bucket load of goals? It's just been years. It's been forever. But hopefully, as you say, Gianluca Scamacca is the one. He should be in London today to have a medical and complete that deal. That's the noises coming from the club anyway. One final bit of business. I want to talk about Maxwell Cornet at Burnley currently, but potentially could be off to Forest. They're the latest club to show an interest. Fulham and Everton also have been sniffing around the Ivory Coast winger. Transfer deals said to be around 17, 18 million quid-ish. Could be an absolute bargain for someone this, couldn't it, Niall? Because Cornet looked great at times and that was in a Burnley team that in no way suited his style of play. Yeah, he looked decent. I just don't know what's going on at Burnley. Everyone's left. It's like a mass exodus and... I don't know what Vincent Company is going to have to work with for the new championship season, but I think they've lost Tarkovsky, they've lost Ben Mee, yeah. two of their main central defenders. Obviously, they've lost Chris Wood recently to, to Newcastle. I think there's other players that have left Burnley as Pope, well. Dwight, Nick Pope. Nick Pope, of Dwight course. McNeil, yeah. and it's rumoured McNeil. to be out on yeah, the way out absolutely. as well. Mm. Absolutely. So, I mean, from a Burnley perspective, will we see them back in the Premier League in a couple of seasons' time? Who knows? Because they've, they've got a lot of work to do up there at Turf Moor. But in terms, he's just of... signing random Belgians at the minute. He's just, <laughs> Is he's, he? yeah, he's just like pillaging that Belgian league. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of Cornet, though, there was that mad rumor a few weeks ago. I don't know if you heard it that um, apparently he didn't know that he was on. He was a permanent signing at Burnley. Oh, really? I don't think it was true, but <laughs> no, it was, asked, it was a hoax. But it got asked, everyone. <laughs> yeah, he asked his agent to go back to to his parent club. Obviously, he was a permanent <laughs> signing, but it was it was a it was something that someone made up, and it did catch a few people out. Oh, Weghorst left as well. Of oh, out Weghorst, he yeah. went to uh, Besiktas, I think, on loan. Um, but I'm seeing different clubs here. Forest, I'm seeing it. You know, one report, Jim, saying that Everton uh, are interested in signing Maxwell Cornet. That is the most Everton signing of all time, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah, Maxwell Cornet from from Burnley, from a relegated club. Uh, yeah, he's a decent player. I mean, 17 million quid. Is he worth that? I don't know. I'm not sure how much Burnley paid for him, but I don't think it was a twenty a great deal. So okay, so Burnley can they're gonna make a they loss can, on that, but I know. think they could probably get the money back. 
15 million and, and five in add-ons if certain things happen or they something like that. It's, yeah, it's if Forest good. or Everton stay up, that should good be... Good business, that. You know. I'd be after him. You know, I've said before, we need wingers and everyone's quoting stupid money. Get on him, yeah. Like, I was thinking, you know, who's, has anyone gone down that is is obviously, you know, good? And Corne plays from the right-hand side. So Maximan plays in the left-hand side, usually. Um, yeah. I think that fits. You know, twenty offer them 20 million quid. I think Burnley would have been down a lot sooner if it wasn't for him, put it that way. I think scored he scored nine goals and really 26 important. appearances. Yeah. I don't yeah. know how many Burnley And he spent a little bit of time injured as well. Yeah, he did, yeah. And that really um, affected them. So, yeah. I, I'd, I, I I'd be after him. I think he's decent. So, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's a bad deal. I mean, I'm not sure. I think Marley's touched upon this before, but Forrest's transfer business this summer, aside from Jesse Lingard, they've signed a lot of players who don't have any really Premier League experience. Mm. Aside from the goalkeeper, Henderson, and Hennessy, by the way, who knows who's going to get the number one shirt out of those two with one goalkeeper looking to get in mm. the Wales squad permanently, which he which he basically is at the moment, but get some game time ahead of a World Cup. And then Henderson, who desperately wants game time because he doesn't want to be number two at Manchester United. So who knows there? But apart from Lingard, the rest of the players aren't anyone with, with Premier League experience. And in terms of the quality, I think that's questionable as well. Whereas Corne, someone who did look good in the Premier League last season, there's no reason why he couldn't do it again if he joined Forest. There will be plenty of twists and turns in these transfer sagas that are discussed over the next two weeks until the Premier League season kicks off. Can't believe it's so close round the corner. We will be back to full force every single day, a different podcast, maybe even more than one podcast. You'll have to watch this space coming at you from Football Social Daily. That is it for today's podcast. Niall Marley, thank you very much. Thank you very much. No worries, thank you. We'll see you next time for another dose of Premier League football.